And we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. So I'm going to ask when you find James 1, 13 through 15, that you will stand in God's honor as I read aloud from the text. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Let's pray. Lord, your word says that through Christ Jesus we are forgiven. Your word also says that through Christ Jesus we have the Spirit of God dwelling in our lives to give us victory on a daily basis, Lord, to make choices that bring glory to you. And Father, we, we want to honor you with our lives, God. And this morning as we look at this area of temptation, I just simply ask that you speak. Uh, we need to hear from you, Lord, and that's far more than I can do, but it's certainly what you're able. So, Lord, just work. I pray for clarity that I'll not ramble. And I pray, Father, for conviction. Your Spirit would clearly speak. And I pray, Father, for courage. And I pray, Father, that it all leads toward commitment to you. Thank you that we're able to meet. And Lord, we just continue to trust you as the service unfolds. May the same Spirit of Jesus be evident. In your name we pray. Amen. Years ago, as a teenager, I remember going to a friend's house. And this relative had just died. And I'll never forget a statement that was made by uh, this friend's grandmother. She said... I think he got into heaven, but he got in by the skin of his teeth. I remember how that struck me, and I started thinking about my teeth. Oh, there's not a lot of skin there. I mean, it's important because it holds my teeth in, but uh, I don't want to get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. I, I don't want it to be a last-second decision with a stamp that says, well, I guess I'll let you in. That's a tough decision, but I... Thankfully, praise be to God that His grace, as Lord Sabiefly saying, is more than sufficient to take us to glory, to get us to heaven. Matter of fact, that's the only way we can get there on what He's done, not on what we do. Yet, there must be before us an understanding of His sacrifice and to live in His service. And I want to look this morning at this battle because the truth of the matter is, until you realize you're not good, you don't understand how hard it is to be good. The Spirit of God has to get a hold of you. I want to read a quote. This is from C.S. Lewis. Uh, no man knows how bad he is until he's tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. That's an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows to the full what temptation means means now a couple of truths with struggling with temptation uh, Galatians 5 22 and 23 says the fruit of the spirits love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness 
last one's critical self-control against such things there's no law so the spirit of God part of what he does when he comes into our lives is he gives us self-control which means an ability to have a mastery over self that we are not merely victims to the sinful nature uh, that we have no power or no strength to combat that which is opposed to God that we don't have to be uh, rebellious people but that we are given strength and power self-control to say no to sin and yes to God but it's not just about sitting back and saying well I'll just be passive and let the self-control flow in me and, and then I'll be safe turn me to 2 Peter chapter 1 great passage of scripture verses 3 through 4 talks about his divine power giving us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness and it talks about these great promises precious promises so that we can participate in the divine nature and notice this escape the corruption in the world caused by sins it says verse 5 for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness love. Verse 8 says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins it tells us in 1 John 5 4 the one who is born of God is victorious over the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith guys we're called to be victorious not to be victims we're called to have a strength that is, is of God and, and as we look at this section of scripture it says here when you don't add to your faith notice in that section of 2 Peter 1 add to your faith you mentioned self-control so there is this true sense in that self-control is a fruit of the spirit that comes into your life at the moment you receive Jesus Christ into your heart but there's also a sense that you are to add to your faith self-control so that both are critical you receive self-control but you're to live self-control you're to take what has been given to you and apply it to your life and to live in his strength in self-control as we battle evil now I want to look at the scripture here James 1, 13-15, as we look at some principles that we learn about temptation. First, in verse 13, it says, when tempted. It doesn't say if tempted. So the point is that everybody faces temptation. There's no way to fully escape temptation. If you go to a monastery, if you go to an abbey, you go somewhere where you're away from the world, you still have you to deal with. Because within us is still that struggle, that battle. So, it, it, you know, there's no such thing as, will I face temptation? We all face temptation. That's just, that's part of the battle. It's part of the battle. Second, temptation is never personally directed by God. Notice there in verse 13, he says, No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And the classic illustration I think of is back there in Genesis when Adam and Eve were created and then there was the fall as they ate of the forbidden fruit. And what did Adam say? It was the woman you gave to me. 
He was trying to place blame essentially back on God. God, if you hadn't done it this way, this would have never happened. And what he's saying here is directly or indirectly, God's not part of sin. He, he, he and sin are inconsistent. God is holy, as the angel said in Isaiah 6, 1. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. He's a God without sin. He doesn't cause sin. Third, temptation is an individual each one is tempted when he is dragged away and enticed. It's an individual matter. My sin affects me. I'm the one responsible for my sin, not someone else. I can't blame someone else for my sin. It's an individual matter, just like I can't be saved for anybody else. It's between me and God, between me and the Lord. I read of an example of a guy who had a friend that worked in the U.S. Treasury. And he said they would sit there and they would count money all day. $100 bills all day as a job. And he said, how in the world could you do that? He said, well, actually, it's very simple. As long as they realize they're counting paper, it's okay. But if they ever stop and think, I'm counting $100 bills, then it becomes a whole different problem. Because there's a whole different type of temptation that occurs and that happens as a result. Uh, now, fourth, temptation leads to sin. And it always follows this process. Look in verse 14. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Step one, the outer bait is dropped. Now, this is a fishing term, enticed. The outer bait is dropped. Read about a fisherman who, uh, man, he, he came back and he had a stringer full of these big fish. So the guy said, what in the world did you use for bait? And he said, chewing tobacco. He said, chewing tobacco? you got to be kidding me. How do you use chewing tobacco? He said, well, it's very easy. He said, put something in my mouth, make a chop, put it on the hook, throw it in the water, wait for the fish to bite it. And then when I start pulling him in and he comes up to spit, I hit him on the head with the back of my reel and pull him in. <laughs> anyway, an outer bait. But as we look here, it has to be a bait. I'm not, I'm not advocating using chewing the back of the fish, okay? Let me get that straight. But it has to be a bait that is attractive to uh, the fish, or in our case, attractive to us. And, and he says, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away. You don't put a nail or a rock on a hook. You, you know, you put a worm or a shiny lure or or some other type of bait that the fish actually sees and is attracted to. And so he comes out of his hiding place and he jumps up on the bait, grabs the hook. So uh, that's how he works. That second, that, that inner desire is attracted to the bait and then pounces upon that bait. Uh, classic example, turn me to Genesis 39. We have this account of Joseph, a godly man, God had worked incredibly in his life and he faced a tremendous temptation. 
as we read about him as he was placed as a slave in the service of a man named Potiphar. Uh, verse 2, it said, The Lord was with Joseph and prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So everything Joseph did was blessed. Of course, now we come to the problem. <laughs> now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. Notice what he said here. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in his house than I am. My master's withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So what does he say? This temptation comes and he says, I've been trusted. Your husband trusts me and, and, and that trust matters to me. And, and, and I have a responsibility and I can't do that. But he notices a bigger responsibility than Potiphar. He says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? So what did he see? So ultimately, he saw sin was not merely against Potiphar. It was against God. Sin in that struggle, in that battle, we need to understand that when we sin, as we read in 2 Peter 1, we have forgotten that we have been cleansed from our past sins. We've forgotten about Calvary. We've forgotten about the mercy that Jesus has paid for there. And, and, and so we lose sight of that, and, and then we become suspect to sin. We come out of God, who is our hiding place, see the bait, and grab it. <laughs> but notice what he says here, verse 10, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Well, that's how temptation is. You don't, you're not just tempted one time, but when that bait's attractive to you, it comes back again and again and again, and you have to deal with that. It's not a one-time battle. And, and we all have different inclinations, and we have different weaknesses, and, and, and that's part of life, is understanding that and to be in God's strength and His hiding place so that we don't grab the bait because it is attractive to us. Because it is. And then it comes to that one point, uh, verse 11. One day he went in the house to attend to his duties. None of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. I love this. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He didn't stand there to debate, to talk about it, to toy with it. He fled. He ran. And, and that's a way to deal with sexual sin is to run. Um, is to run. So that brings us to fourth. Temptation that leads to sin um, follows the pro this process and it leads to tragic consequences. Once we yield, there are tragic consequences. And the truth of the matter is, between the two, there is pleasure for a time being. Between the two, there's a temporary time of pleasure. But unfortunately, the consequences way outweigh that. Lives are affected and consequences and regrets come out of that and uh, that's what happens notice how he says it in James chapter 1 
After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Often it's death of relationships. Often it's death of health. Often it's uh, death of uh, finances. But death results when, when sin is followed through, and there are those consequences that come as a result of it. So there are five things here I, I want to look at in the time that remains on how to battle sin, how, uh, how to fight sin. First, you counteract sin. You don't tolerate it. You don't treat it like it's a cream puff. You treat it like a rattlesnake. Uh, turn me to Romans chapter 6. Verse 13. He says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. I want you to notice that this is not a passive command, it's active. He says to offer your bodies, not to wickedness, but as instruments of righteousness. Uh, it's something that uh, we're called to do, to set apart for Him. Um, on Hee Haw, eight years ago, they had uh, Doc Campbell on there, and a guy came by and he says, uh, Doc, I broke my arm in two places. And uh, his response was, stay out of them places. And so it is with us, stay out of them places. All right, uh, counteract. Uh, second, certain techniques are used with certain temptations. Uh, we've already mentioned with sexual temptation, as you read about it, it says run. Don't toy with it, just run, run away, flee. Uh, wouldn't it be cool if there was a verse in the Bible to remind us of the importance of a covenant with God in that area to stay sexually pure. There is one. Job 31.1. Turn with me there real briefly. Just before the book of Psalms. Job 31.1. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. He said, I planned ahead of time not to follow a path of, of lust in my mind and in my heart. I made this covenant, a disagreement with God that that's not how my eyes are going to operate. That's not how my mind is going to think. I'm not going to be flooded with lust. And, and uh, I'm going to run from that. Make that covenant ahead of time. Run. <laughs> Secondly, um, in dealing with sin, is... Uh, Greed. Greed. How do we deal with greed? Well, Proverbs eleven twenty five says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So the way to deal with greed is to be generous. To share. It says, He who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. God gives a blessing through a person who is generous. He, he, he provides that blessing. That's a way to deal with greed. Um, another area to deal with um, gossip. Years ago I learned a verse 2 Timothy 2.16 It says avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. Refrain from it. 
man, don't divulge in gossip. You know, like someone said, uh, don't say it unless it's good. And boy, is this good. Don't do that. Stay out of that. Uh, stay away from it. So, different temptations, there's different strategies, uh, different ways to, to face those temptations. Third, I must remind myself that the final pain will soon erase the temporary pleasure I'm passing out. Turn me to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. We don't have to go too far here. The previous book, 11, 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He understood that the price paid will be greater than the pleasure enjoyed with good sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor who died in Nazi Germany for his faith because he would not take loyalty to Hitler. And he had written a number of books that are popular in Christian circles. He wrote a book on temptation. I'll read to you a quote from Bonhoeffer on temptation that speaks about the importance of resisting temptation. He says, In our members there is a slumbering inclination toward desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire, ambition, vanity, or desire for revenge, love of fame and power, greed for money. Joy in God is in course of being extinguished in us as we seek all our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. The powers of clear discrimination and a decision are taken from us. The question present themselves, is what the flesh desires really sin in this case? Is it really not permitted to me? Yes, expected of me. Now, here in my particular situation to appease desire, it is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God powers of the body, the mind, the will, which were held in obedience under the discipline of the word, of which I believe that I was the master, make it clear to me that I am by no means master of them. The adversary deploys my powers against me. She says, be honest, there's painful consequences. Next, uh, fourth, I must control my life, my thought life, through Scripture. Psalm 119, 9-11. Many of you probably know a great section of Scripture. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. You not let me stray from your commands. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There is a great blessing and reward in thinking God's thoughts. In taking the time to really think about Scripture. So often we have a five-minute devotion or we read a paragraph and we consider that time with God. And I'm, I, I'm not saying there's not some value to that, 
but there's so much more available to us if, if we take the time to, to really say, God, what do you really want me to know? Teach me, God. Teach me your word. Teach me your truth. Give me your strength. God, I want to be faithful to you, Lord. Well, it's here. It, 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 as we take the time to commit that to memory and to dwell upon God's truth and, and to let it penetrate our thoughts and, and, and change our hearts and, and to have that impact. Uh, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. A verse that tells us, um, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. It says a man reaps what he sows. It says the one who sows to please the sinful nature from the sinful nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. In other words, the choices we make, what we do, there are consequences. We, we reap according to that. We are responsible. And... and all this is in God's Word as you learn it. Back to the example of gossip. Like I said, that verse, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. I can't tell you how many times, I'm not saying there's been times I didn't say that was good and indulge in it. I'm not saying I never did that. But I can't tell you how many times I'd get ready to open this big fat mouth of mine and God would say, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And that's you, Todd. <laughs> He would speak to me. Another verse, Proverbs 10, verse 19. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Now, of course, we might look pretty funny if I get ready to say something. I, uh, I'm not sure that's exactly what it's saying, but uh, you might get the idea I'm getting ready to say something. But the point is simply, watch your words. Watch your words. And as we take time to look at Scripture, guys, uh, you can go on with those kind of examples. The Scripture comes alive. The, the, the Scripture empowers us and, and helps us in these different areas. Uh, it's all it's there we just have to uncover it it's like a treasure that hasn't been mined because we don't take the time last one here uh, I must do battle on a daily basis this temptation struggle it doesn't go away till we're in his presence and glory and what it really comes back down to is are we building on the foundation lay Jesus Christ or is our foundation uh, you roading away the daily way that we live what's being built on the foundation of Christ man in 1 Corinthians 3 what a verse or well turn me to 1 Corinthians 3 look here what a what a section of scripture verse 10 he says by the grace God's given me I laid a foundation as an expert builder someone else is building on it each one should be careful how he builds no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ he is the foundation toward heaven he is the foundation toward eternal life only Jesus he's the only way but he goes on here he says if any man builds on this foundation using gold silver costly stones wood hay or straw his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's word. It, 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 our, our lives, it, this is going to be shown. If what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. But only one escaping through the flames. And I don't want to go to heaven scorched. I don't think you do either. God's, God's heart in this battle. Um, to have a foundation, to strong on Christ, to build on that foundation according to His Word.
um, close an example. In December 2001, they reopened the Leaning Tower of Pizza. <laughs> Pizza, right? Uh, they reopened this tower. It had been closed for almost a dozen years. Why? Because uh, for a very long period of time, it had been each year leaning a little bit more. And so they closed it down for those dozen years, followed a $25 million renovation project where they removed 110 tons of dirt and they moved the tower 16 inches because when they had started the project, the top of the tower was 17 feet from the base of the tower, the bottom of the tower. And so the tower was on a course to fall. Was it because of the poor workmanship? Was it because they got some bad marble? <laughs> no. It was because of the foundation. The foundation wasn't solid. And, and because of that, the tower began to lean. And it moved toward falling. There's only one foundation to be laid, to be strong, to be victorious, to know God's blessings. And that foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and as I come to the end of this, that's my call to you. You say, I want to be good. The only way to be good is to be godly. So you say, I want to be godly. There's only one trouble with that. Only God is godly. So what happens? God has to enter your life. God has to enter your heart. He provides forgiveness and He provides a power that's a lot more than you have. And that's what the invitation is about this morning. Is God in your life? Is Jesus forgiven you? We have an altar. I don't know what. We all have, we're all a mess and we all need a Savior. Maybe there's something you need to bring to the altar. Maybe there's something to bring before God's people. But I can tell you this, it always comes back to Jesus. So I just, I implore you to come to Jesus. I implore you guys, let's not live just hoping we'll get into heaven. Let's live in His power that others will see we're going to heaven and want to go too. Lord, uh, I thank you for your people. I thank you, Father, for your provision. It was met at Calvary by the only one who didn't need it, the Lord Jesus. And Father, as we come to you, we're a weak bunch. And as we've talked about temptation, we've been reminded of that. But thank you that you provide a strength to be able to say no to sin and yes to you. And I pray, Father, that we as a people would move more that direction and that we would do it by looking upon the grace of Jesus. I think of Second Peter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. What a wonderful section of Scripture of God. You, oh, you command us to be self-controlled, to set our hearts fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. Father, may, may, Father, may that stick. May you speak to us, Holy Spirit. And may that be our lives, that we're thinking about that grace. And God, I just thank you, and I uh, look for whatever you want to do this morning, because we're not done, Lord. You're still at work, and I pray that you would do what you want, that we would just simply obey you. 
in this time we call response and invitation, whether it's to pray at the altar silently before you or whether it's to speak before the body of Christ and say, this is what Jesus is doing in me. And you need to know, (laughs) have your way, Master. In the name of Jesus, we pray.